So welcome again. Welcome Smyrna Campus. We love you guys. Welcome all of you who are joining us online and everybody here today. Uh, it is uh, a, a wonderful thing to be part of a country where everybody that chooses to do so and follows the process can be involved in the process of choosing the leaders that we're going to have. And every time we do this, there are people who celebrate because they got what they were wanting to have happen. And we have people who are upset because they didn't get what they were hoping would happen. But you know what? We are so blessed to even be able to participate in the process. So many nations around the world don't have that opportunity for their citizens to participate in the process. So our role as Christ followers through this transition time is to be sure that we set a good example and we continue to lift up Jesus and we pray for those who've been selected to serve in the different positions that they've been elected to serve in. Uh, we need to always undergird those who are serving in those positions, undergird them with our prayers. Because if they do well, the nation does well. Why wouldn't we want them to have success? Why wouldn't we want them to be blessed and do well in the roles that they are put in? So let's join together. Let's unify as a people. And let's lift up Jesus. Christ followers, here's the thing. No matter who is in that office of the White House or any of the other positions that we elect, our job never changes. Our role never changes in the world and in our country. Our role is to love God and love others the way God teaches us to. That's what God has called us all to do. And we need to do it well. And we need to set that example for the rest of the world. The world's watching how we respond when we go through things like this. And we need to respond well and represent Christ well through this whole process. So I'm thankful for those who are setting that good example and who are, who are maintaining that kind of love and that kind of respect and honor to others, even if we disagree on things sometimes. Uh, that's part of what it means to be unified in Christ. So thank you to all of you who are doing that. Uh, and let's take a moment now and pause for prayer uh, as we think about moving forward now in this transition time. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you again for the privilege we have of living in the United States, the blessings that we enjoy here. We know many Christ followers in other parts of the world don't even get to participate in helping to choose who their leaders are going to be. And Father, we know that with every election, there are times of, of strife and contention where people disagree and they can argue, but help us to never, ever lose our willingness to represent you well, to be Christ-like in how we interact with each other, to love well. We don't have to compromise anything we believe to love other people well. So help us, Father, no matter which side we, we were supporting in this process to honor you. And Father, we lift up uh, Donald Trump, President Trump and his family and all of his team as they go through this time of transition. We ask you to watch over and bless them. And we lift up President-elect Biden and Vice President-elect Harris. And we just pray that you would bless them and their family and their teams as they go through this time of transition. Father, we pray that you would bless our nation. Help us. Help us to know that we can use these freedoms for your glory, for your honor. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Today, I'm excited that we're beginning a brand new series called, you might think it's called Happy Thanksgiving, but it's not. That's what's on the sign. That's what's on the banners. That's what's on the outline. That's what's on the, the site, website. But it's not Happy Thanksgiving. It's Happy Thanksgiving. 
There's a comma or a space between the words, okay? Because here's the thing. In this season of November, when we actually celebrate the holiday of Thanksgiving, we have this tendency to just say, Happy Thanksgiving and just run it all together. But we don't sit and think or talk about how we can connect those, how those things are really connected to each other, how we can be happy and joyful because we have an attitude of thanks and gratitude which enables us to live a generous lifestyle. You see, all of those things are connected to each other. And sometimes we get caught up in hard things that are going on in our lives and in the world and we lose the joy. We're not happy. Or we don't have gratitude the way we need to have gratitude because things aren't working the way we want them to work. Or we're not generous because of fear or, or anxiety about things. And so in this series, we're going to focus especially on a parable that Jesus told. In Luke chapter 12, it's recorded for us there. If you want to open up your Bibles, you're going to pull it up on your smartphone or tablet. Luke chapter 12, beginning with verse 13. It's often called the parable of the rich fool. Now, if somebody were to say to you today, you're a rich fool, would you take that as a compliment? No. In fact, you would probably, like me, be very defensive. I'm neither rich nor do I think I'm a fool? But not everybody would agree with me, right? So, so Jesus is identifying someone in this story as a rich fool. And, and as much as we don't want to think he's talking to us and that this parable would apply to us, I think we need to go deeper and look at what the point of the parable really is and see, well, maybe it does speak to us, apply to us. Maybe it is Jesus saying something to us that we need to hear so that we don't end up being the rich fool in the story. Okay, so let's listen to what he says here and what leads into the telling of the story. Verse 13, someone in the crowd, Jesus has been teaching and a crowd has assembled there. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So right away, there's an argument going on between brothers, right? Uh, evidently, their father or mother, somebody's died in the family. They have an inheritance that should be coming to them. One brother feels like the other brother is not rightly dividing the inheritance with him. And so they see Jesus as someone who seems to be teaching with authority, seems to know what he's talking about. So they, they put Jesus on the spot and say, Jesus, you settle this dispute for us right now between me and my brother. And Jesus, as he often did when people are trying to put him on the spot, diverts it back to teaching a lesson that he knows that person needs to hear but that the crowd needs to hear in the middle of this questioning about dividing the inheritance. So in verse 14, Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? I think the reason Jesus throws that in, and I can't presume to know this for sure, but, but it seems to be a pattern that Jesus has, is Jesus is wanting them to think, why would you want my position on this? Why would you want me to say, you know, make an authoritative decision on this? Is it because you're beginning to recognize who I am? That I have that authority, right? So maybe he's leading into that. We don't know for sure, but he often answered questions that way. Verse 15, then he said to them, watch out. When Jesus says, watch out, what should we do? Very good. We should always watch out when Jesus says, watch out. And, and he says, watch out. So we need to, he says, be on your guard. Right? When you're on your guard about something, it means you, you're alert to it. You're looking for it. You're being careful about it, okay? Be on your guard against all kinds of what? Greed. 
Jesus was able to look into hearts and see motives behind the question. And I, I think it's easy for us to say here that Jesus sees in this brother the motive behind what he's doing here is greed. Okay? He wouldn't be trying to get Jesus to get his brother to give him more money. Uh, for He could be wanting it for other reasons, but I think Jesus sees that behind it, it's greed. And that's why he addresses greed as a problem. Now, here's the thing about greed. Sometimes we think of greed as only applying to rich people. But that's not true at all. The sin of greed can apply to anybody at any income level. No matter how much money you have or what position you have or power you have or don't have, greed can still be a controlling factor. There are very, uh, there's a large number of people who are, we would consider poor who are also greedy at the same time. And there are people who are wealthy who are also greedy and everything in between. And there are also people at every one of those levels that is, they're, they're generous. They're giving. So, so it's not the amount of money that makes the difference. He's saying don't be on your, he's not saying be on your guard against having money. He's not saying that. He's saying be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Greed's the problem, okay? Then he says life Listen to this statement. This is huge. <laughs> if, if, if all of us could just grasp this one, especially in the culture we live in in America, it sure would help us a lot to have contentment and joy. Thanks. All right. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. But how are we raised in our country to think of life? Life is successful when you have what? An abundance of possessions. That's how we measure it. Now, we're not the only place that's ever done that. I mean, people all over the world have battled with this same thing. It's not just an American thing, for sure. It's a universal thing because in the flesh, we tend to judge by those outward things of what do you have, what have you accumulated, uh, what do you have coming in in the future, and we measure life based on those things. And Jesus is saying life doesn't consist in those things. Now, that's not saying they're evil or good. He's not saying either one of those things. He's not judging those things. He's judging what life is about, okay? So we shouldn't demonize stuff. We shouldn't demonize having those things. He's saying what needs to happen, though, is, is we don't measure life by that, by the abundance of possessions. And that's the hardest part for us, is to not measure our lives by the abundance of our possessions, so then he leads into, with that introduction, that teaching, he leads into this parable. Here's what the parable says. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat Drink and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. All right, here's where the fool comes in. All right? He's calling this man a fool, not based on how much he has, but on something else. Listen, okay? He says to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? And he didn't stop there. And sometimes we stop at the end of that sentence and we just condemn the fact that the guy had so much and he wanted to get more. But that's not where he stops the teaching. He goes on to say this. 
This is how it will be for whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. You see, the rich fool wasn't a fool because he was rich. That's not what this story is about. The rich fool was a fool because he only stored up things for himself without being rich toward for himself without being rich toward God. That's what made him a fool. God never condemns putting stuff back for the future. He never condemns a savings account or an investment that you make that pays off and, and that you can uh, have some financial security for your family. He never condemns any of that. As long as you're still doing what? Being rich toward God. You can do both. And in fact, he's saying it's good to do both. The scripture teaches things about, about uh, in Proverbs. If you just read through the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament, there's such wisdom there about preparing for the future and, and, and not spending every dollar you get every time you get it, but putting some back and things like that. We have great instructions on that. There's, God is never condemning that. But when you're doing that, is it with the attitude that I still want to be generous with my life and my resources in a way that blesses God and honors God? Are we being rich toward God at the same time. So in this series, we're going to be talking about each week different elements of, of how we can start being rich toward God and things that might keep us from being rich toward God. Today, we're really focusing on the concept of beginning uh, this, this mindset that, that allows us to be rich toward God with learning to trust God. Trusting God is the foundation of being able to be rich toward God. It's the foundation of having Joy, happy, thanks, being grateful. When you trust God, you can be grateful. Giving, you can give generously when you trust God, the way you need to trust God. You see how they're all connected. So in this series, we're going to look at all of that, but we're starting with trusting God. And I want to just spend a moment today on three traps against trust, three things that could keep us from trusting God the way we need to. Uh, very common things are found in Scripture. We have examples of people who, who fell into these traps over and over again. And, and so we need to learn from others and learn from, from what God teaches us in His Word and learn from our own experience how we need to avoid these traps in our lives. Okay, First trap that keeps us from trusting God is the do-it-yourself spirit. The do-it-yourself spirit. That's what I call it. You could call it a lot of different things. Uh, we are so fiercely independent in our country, which is a good thing, and it's a blessing. Uh, I'm thankful that we have our independence like we do. But there's a danger to being fiercely independent. And that is we don't learn to rely on God the way we need to. We start relying on ourselves. What we can do, our own strength, our own ability, our own education, our own working things out and making opportunities happen for us, you know, and we manipulate and, and, and work on it so that we can have what we want to have. And I love, and God does teach us that each person ought to work hard and we ought to work and be good employees and good bosses. He, he really tells us we, we should seek to do that. That's not bad. But what can get out of balance is, is we can start thinking, all right, it's all us. It's all us. And if we have success, who gets the credit? We do. We get the credit because we work so hard. 
And we did all the right things, right? So what can happen is, as we get puffed up in pride, thinking, man, I, I sure have done well, without recognizing that we could never have done that without God's blessing and God's care and God's provision in our lives. In America, the idea is, you know, you pull up your bootstraps and you go to work and you work hard and you make good of your life. And that's a good thing at the right level because people should take responsibility for themselves. And if they have a family, the Bible says, if you won't take care of your family, you know, it's a bad thing. You need to be willing to work hard and take care of your family. That's the way it ought to be. But we have to do it in light of the fact that we know and we acknowledge and we give credit to God for allowing us to do that, for giving us the ability to do that. It's from God. It's not just us. It never has been just us doing that. And, and it's easy to get blinded. I, I love uh, this clip. There's a movie. Uh, this is an old movie. It goes back to 1965. The movie is Shenandoah. And the star, one of the stars of the movie is one of my favorite actors, uh, Jimmy Stewart. Uh, and this movie is set in the Civil War era, okay? And in the Civil War era, he has his family sitting down at the big dinner table, and he's got sons and daughters and uh, sons and daughters-in-law. He's got everybody around the family, uh, the table there for Thanksgiving meal. And he leads in what is supposed to be a Thanksgiving prayer. So I want you to listen to his prayer. Lord, we cleared this land, we plowed it, sowed it, and harvested. We cooked the harvest. It wouldn't be here, we wouldn't be eating it if we hadn't done it all ourselves. We worked dog bone hard for every crumb and morsel, but we thank you just the same anyway, Lord, for this food we're about to eat. Amen. <laughs> that really sounded grateful, didn't it? <laughs> and as funny as that is, when we hear somebody else do it, Maybe we don't say it out loud, but sometimes we can start thinking that way a little bit. We can start taking all the credit, thinking it's all us, and thinking that uh, other people could have it too if they just worked as hard as we did, right? It's, it's because they're just, you know, when we see somebody not doing that well, sometimes we will judge them as people who haven't worked hard or made the effort like we have. Instead of understanding that it could just be God has blessed us with some opportunities they didn't have or could be God blessed us with some abilities they don't have or well, there's a lot of other factors involved that we don't need to start thinking it's us against them. And in our culture, one of the things that I see stirring in our culture is this, this uh, dividing people into these classes that oppose each other instead of understanding all of us are dependent on God for any good thing that we have in our lives. He's the source of any and all good things that we have in our lives. I love what it says back in Deuteronomy in the Old Testament, chapter 8, verses 17 and 18. Listen to this. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. He says, yeah, you may say to yourself, it's, it's all me, but who's really the source? It is God who gave you the ability to go out and work and get what you have. And it can quickly go away 
if you think it's all you especially, that can quickly change like a pandemic could hit, illness could hit, death of a loved one could hit, downsizing at work can hit, closing the business can hit. If you ever start thinking it's all you, you need to understand how quickly and easily that can be taken away, just like that. And so we need to acknowledge that it is God who is the source of our blessings. That do-it-yourself spirit can be good if it's done in light of recognizing God as the source. In Ecclesiastes 5.19, I love the wisdom there too. It says, moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them. Now, who, who gave them wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy it? God, okay? When God gives that to people, it says they need to accept their lot and be happy in their toil. This is a gift of God. If you do get to have that, it's a gift from God. And we need to thank God and and honor God with it because it really is coming from Him as the source. So, this do-it-yourself spirit can be a problem. This could be a trap. The second trap that we could fall into is what is most often called just materialism. Materialism is where we place more value on material things than we should, where we elevate the value of those things even above people and relationships sometimes. Materialism is a terrible trap to fall into. Again, in Ecclesiastes, there's some really wonderful wisdom there. Chapter 5 and verse 10 says this, Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. Wow. Whoever loves money, what does he say? Never has enough. You know what the number one thing people respond to questionnaires when they ask this question? Here's the number one response to this question. What would make your life better? The number one response is just a little more money. It is number one across the board in America and has been for a long time. If I could just make a little more. And it's always just a little more is the answer. Doesn't even have to be a lot more. If I could just make a little more, it would be better. And I know we all want to not think of ourselves as the rich fool. None of us wants to think of ourselves as materialistic. But, but listen, we've got some statistics, especially here in America, that might contradict that. All right? There's a lot we could go to, but one of them is average house size in America and how that's changed because we think just a little more and we'll be happy right just a little bigger just a little more and then we'll be happy back in 1950 the average house in America was 983 square feet 983 square feet last year it was reported that the average house being built in America today is 2,687 square feet Do you think just a little more is going to satisfy us if we have this love for material things controlling our lives? Now, understand this. At the same time, family size has gone down in America. In 1950, we averaged about 3.33 people per household. Today, last year, we averaged about 2.5 people per household. So families have gotten smaller while at the same time houses have gotten bigger. Why? Because just a little more will satisfy us, right? Just a little bigger, just a little nicer, just a little newer, and then we'll be happy. Then we'll be having a good life. 
with just a little more. But in the meantime, naturally, those houses cost more. A lot more. You could get a under a 1,000 square foot house a lot less expensively than you could 25, 2,600 square foot house. So in order to pay to have that, we've had to work longer hours. And if there's two parents in the household, almost always both of them are having to work to pay for that little bit bigger house that we thought if we could just get that would make us happy. And it hasn't because we still want a little bit more. The surveys still show that even with that house at that size, what would make you happy? I just need a little bit more. Then I'll be happy. That's materialism. When it gets to that point that we think that's the thing that's going to make us happy, that's materialism. And, and, and it can affect everybody. It, it doesn't matter which size you're at in your house. It doesn't matter which income level you're at. It's always still, no matter where they're at, it's always the answer, generally speaking, the majority says, just a little more, no matter what level they're on. And the truth is, when we think that's going to happen and we pursue that and we give ourselves to that, we may sometimes be able to get that. And for a little while, it does provide us some joy, right? It does provide us some happiness. But then, after a while, that newness wears off and that excitement wears off. And then, if the survey were to be given again, what would we say? We still just need a little more. Just a little more. So we've got to recognize, remember he said, be alert, okay, watch out. Life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. We need to be alert to the fact that Satan would love for us to start thinking life does consist in the abundance of our possessions. And then we could get caught up in materialism. And if we get caught up in materialism, we can never put happy and thanks and giving together in our lives. We can't. Not if we're living materialistically in our lives. Jesus is not condemning this man for having barns filled with grain. He was a farmer. He had worked hard. He was able to fill up his barns, his, stable, his, his silos with the grain that he had raised that God gave him the ability to do. And God had blessed him. That's a good thing. God is not condemning having a lot of stuff. He's condemning thinking that your life consists in that so that you're driven by that. Thinking that's where your joy is going to be found. That's what he's condemning. And so we have to rethink and be on our guard that we don't fall into the trap of materialism. Remember what Paul said? We looked at this in a series a while back from Philippians 4, verse 12 and 13. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being, what's the word? Content, okay? I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. He says, I, I've learned the secret of contentment because I've been in both places. I've been in a place where I had plenty. And I've also been in a place where I didn't have plenty. And I learned to be content. And that word translated content means to be at ease, not to be worried, not to be fearful, I've learned to be content whether it's a lot that I have or a little that I have. And he says it's a secret. And what's the secret? He says, I can do all this in verse 13 through him who gives me strength. He's talking about Jesus. Our contentment needs to be found in our relationship with Jesus. 
That's the source of the contentment that God wants us to have. When you know Jesus well, when you know his love for you, when you know you can count on him and trust him to provide for you and care for you, then you can be content. And God's not condemning having a lot. Just learn to be content. He's not condemning having middle income. Just learn to be content. Or lower income, learn to be content. Being content doesn't mean you don't try to have more. That's not what that means. Being content means you can be joyful and generous even along the way while you're increasing income or opportunities that God puts in front of you. He's not condemning trying to do better financially in any way. He's just saying don't let it be what you think life is all about. Look for a way that God can use that in your life to be a blessing to you and to others. So he says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. So we've got this do-it-yourself spirit can be a trap. Materialism can be a trap. The third trap is fear. And I think this is the one more of us are dealing with today than we have in a long, long time because of a lot of things that are happening, right? Especially the pandemic and the economy struggling the way it is as a result of the pandemic and businesses closing down and people losing jobs and all these things that are happening out there. It is hard not to be afraid. And and, and I just want you to know this. Uh, We need to be compassionate toward people if they're feeling fear. Fear is a normal response. It's a God-given response. In fact, sometimes fear is exactly the response we need to have for, for, for preservation, right? There are things that we should be afraid to do, things that we should be afraid to, to uh, have as part of our lives. We should fear, if you've battled with drug addiction, you should fear falling back into that, right? That's not a good thing. If, if you... Uh, If you don't have a proper respect and fear for wild animals, you could put yourself at risk out there in the wild, right, around those animals. There there is a good fear. So he's not, what we're not talking about here is is the proper fear. That's, That's not a bad thing. What we're talking about is how fear can come in and control you and take you away from the life that God wants you to have. You see, for the Christ follower, fear doesn't disappear. You just know where to take it. You, need how to, you know how to respond to it. You know who to go to with your fear. It doesn't mean you never get scared anymore. And sometimes people, I think, are made to feel bad as Christians if they fear, if they struggle with doing something that even though they can see clearly in God's Word it says to do it, they still struggle with it. That's all right. That's okay. What you have to learn to do is deal with the fear in the right way. You have to learn. We all have to learn that we could take our fears to God and lay them at his feet and then we can trust him to help us deal with those fears. We could trust him to give us the guidance and the direction and the provision that allows us to take the steps we need to take to honor him with our lives. Jesus was a master teacher, of course, and in Matthew chapter 6, we have a part of what is called the Sermon on the Mount. And in that sermon, Jesus spent a lot of time talking about fear in relation to material things, okay? And how we need to handle fear and the approach we need to take with our fear if we get scared about material things. In Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse 25, Jesus is in the middle of that sermon and he says this, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. How many of you don't worry about your life? Raise your hand. 
Yeah. I'm not going to raise my hand because I can't say I never worry about my life. There are times when I do. I mean, I know me. There's reason to worry sometimes, right? And, and I think we all can say, honestly, well, yeah, there's some things about us that, that should concern us. Uh, we need to always be on guard with and take care of like we need to. So he says, don't worry about your life. What you will eat, this is what he means by life here. What you will eat or drink about your body, what you will wear. He says, that's the normal material stuff we worry about, right? I mean, isn't that what most of us, not everybody, but most of us are thinking about those things pretty often, pretty regularly. You know, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? In fact, somebody I saw said marriage is just all about deciding what are we having for dinner tonight. That's just the, the thing that, that has to be repeated over and over again, right? Uh, it can control you sometimes. But, but it's not just that. It's, it's the source, right? It's are we going to have what we need? Do we, do we have the clothes? Do we have this, are we going to have the shelter? Are we going to have those needs met in our lives? He says, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? And then he gives us the, the example. He says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And I think that's the correct translation, but there is an alternate translation that says, who of you by worrying can add a single cubit to your height? And believe me, I know that doesn't work, Okay. I know for sure that doesn't work. Worrying about it will never change it. So, but it's also true that you can't add a single hour to your life by worrying about it. In fact, studies show that worrying about it probably cuts time off of your life. It can, health-wise, take away some of your time of life here on this earth. So he says in verse 28, Why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. All right, so he's setting up this contrast for us. Our God takes care of the birds, and he provides the beauty of the flowers in the field and takes care of that. It just happens, right, because God set it up that way. So he's setting it up to contrast it. He says in verse 31, I mean in verse uh, uh, 30, if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. Instead, here's what he says for us to do. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. So you see the comparison he's making if God will take care of the birds of the air and the flowers of the field, here's what you have to know about God. You're worth more to God than the flowers and the birds. You're more valuable to him than the rest of his creation. If you go back and look at the story of creation, it's, it's humans that are the crowning touch to his creation. We are the ones created in his image. No other part of creation is created in the image of God but human beings. So he says, if God is so careful to make sure he takes care of the birds and the flowers, don't you understand how much more valuable you are to God than the birds are and the flowers are? So you can trust that God will take care of you. I can trust that God will take care of me. 
It doesn't mean he's going to do it the way I think he ought to do it all the time or in the way I think he ought to do it or the amount that I think he ought to do. But he will take care of those that he loves and cares about. And he promises we are those people. Now, how can you know for sure that God really loves us like that? So much so that we can trust him with our lives completely. Romans 8.32 is a great verse to go to. Here's what it says. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? How do you know how God feels about you? How do you know the value that God puts on you? He didn't even spare his own son to take care of you and provide for you what you needed the most. See, what we need the most is forgiveness of sin. It's a payment for sin so that we don't have to make it ourselves. And God loves us, right? John 3, 16, he so loved the world. You could put your name right there. He so loved you that he gave his one and only son for you and for me. If God wouldn't withhold his son, what would you ever need that God wouldn't make sure he provided for you? We need that reminder, don't we? Because we can fall into the traps, can't we, of self-sufficiency, the trap of materialism. We can fall into the trap of, of not realizing just how valuable we are to God, and that can make us afraid for our lives. But when you know God well, when you surrender yourself to him and allow him to prove himself to you, that's when you see God's love coming through for you over and over again. Let's pray together. Father, Father, we know. We know that we need to be reminded of your love for us because that's the answer to our fears. It's the answer to our struggling and striving in this world to do things ourselves. It's the answer to getting too attached to the things of this world so that we can have a happy, joyous life. A life of gratitude and thanks. A life where we could give back joyfully because we know you to be the source who takes care of us. Father, may we trust you the way we need to trust you, the way you've shown us. We have every reason to trust you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.